thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts? Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this special interview episode of the Band Biographies podcast with me, Tom Austin Morgan. Today's episode is a conversation I had with Chris Constantino. He may be better known to some of you Adam Ant fans as Chris De Niro. He's also played in bands with Marco Peroni, Annabella Lewin and Rat Scabies, which cover everything from blues to dance music. Currently, he's about to release a new mini-album called Femme Power with rapper Jenna Dickens in a punk rap project called Rude Girl and CC. Femme Power will be available to stream and buy on the 6th of May 2022 and is released through InGrooves, part of the Universal Music Group. The lead track, King Kong, will also be played by Iggy Pop on his BBC Radio 6 music show on that day. Later in June, they'll also be releasing a double A side through Cleopatra Records. The tracks are called I'm Good, which has been mixed by Nick Hodgson of the Kaiser Chiefs, and the second track is a version of Adamant's Goody Two Shoes, so keep your eyes peeled for those dropping. Chris and I got on like a house on fire, and this episode was edited down from a two-hour conversation we had that went way off topic at certain points where we just got to know each other, which was really cool, but probably not very interesting to you. I mean, who knows, if I start a Patreon at some point, maybe I'll start releasing the unedited versions of these interviews, and perhaps the videos as well. But I digress. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Chris has certainly lived a life, and you're going to hear just a fraction of it now. I was listening to Iggy Pop's pronunciation, and I thought, I don't know whether that's 100% right. (laughs) That was funny, wasn't it? You know what I was thinking? It... I was thinking, like, maybe that's a Russian sort of pronunciation of it, because it sounded very odd, didn't it? Or maybe mm. it was just an Iggy Pop sort of uh, uh, yeah. pronunciation. An, an Iggyism. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool, man. But, uh, yeah, so thanks very much for coming on the show, Chris. Um, right. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I hope that you had a nice time away over Christmas and New Year to your retreat as well. Is that something that you do yeah. quite often? Um. I don't do it that often. Um, it was just that it came up and it was like, a, you know, it was just an opportunity that came up and I'd never done one before. I've never been on uh, like a retreat. And what I was thought, it like, like a oh. yogic retreat or something like that? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was an ashram and which is even worse. So I, <laughs> I kind of like thought, I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be like, I'm going to hate it. So I kind of. I thought, yeah, but I've got push my boundaries and I kind of like thought you know at my age I should be sort of thinking of trying new things and so I thought okay I'll give it a go and I'll, mm. I'll leave I'll just leave my suitcase packed and if I don't like it I can just leave so mm. so I arrived and had my suitcase it was sort of you know just 
had it open and just ready to go, really. Had my, had a hire car. So I thought, you know, I thought this is going to be weird. I'm, I might have to leave. So <laughs> I, I got there and it was kind of, I threw myself into it. And after the first day, I realised it was like being on the road, like with a band. And it mm. was just like, that you'd not, but like guys, you just the first time you've been on the road together. Um, so I loved it. I loved it. I started to really enjoy it. And um, yeah, very new experience. What kind of things do they do at those ashrams? Well, this they do different things, don't they? I mean, this one was kind of like quite loose. I mean, they started off trying to be a bit strict, but I thought this is bollocks. And I just <laughs> said, you know, it's like sort of, I think on the first night, I went to my room and like people were like texting saying, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm just in my room having a drink. You know, I think I was, had some red wine or something. And they said, oh, why don't you come down? We'll, we'll all have some. And I said, well, I don't think it's allowed. And um, I knew the yoga teacher, Emma, and she said, oh, no, don't be silly, come down. So I said, all right, I'll come down. So I came down and I bought the bottle of wine and... <laughs> There was this guy there, he's a really good guy called Demo, and he was like running the whole sort of thing. And he said to me, Oh, like, you know, and he's from Georgia, mm. a really, really nice bloke from Georgia. And he was like, You know, not part of the yoga thing, but running the build, you know, the whole where we were on the sea seafront. And he just said, Oh, you know, everyone in here is a secret, my friend, everyone <laughs> in every room. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, you're right. And I said, I'm not going <laughs> to, I said, I'm not going to be one of those. So I, I, I kind of like came out and I got the bottle of wine, I put it down, just said, right, I'm I'm not drinking anymore. I'm, I'm drinking here in front of everyone. I said, so everyone started drinking then and doing whatever they were doing. So it was kind of like, you know, um, it was good. And then after that, it was a release. It was kind of like, I felt very, uh, you know, relieved that, you know, in the mornings you get up, you practice yoga, and then you'd eat, then you do your own thing, you practice yoga at night and all get together. And it's like some really cool people, like from all over the world. Mm. Um, some great musicians there, like really good uh, artists from all over the world. And uh, so, yeah, I met some amazing people and we're still keeping in touch. You know, it seemed to be like a whole load of people from Berlin. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um yeah, no, I loved it. I've got to say, I loved yeah. it. So, is it was it something to kind of open yourself up to more kind of artistic ideas, or was it just a lifestyle thing? Or no, not really. I think what happened was just after lockdown. You know, I felt very sort of you know I had that lockdown period, and then I had um, I had a bit of a uh, I had this cancer thing. You know, oh, right. I don't I don't actually know about it. No, but I, I didn't this, know. That. Uh, yeah, I had this cancer, like um, cancer of the throat. Right. So I got I got cancer of the throat. So I had to have an operation, major sort of surgery. So hell. then I was supposed to go on the road. We were supposed to be playing at um, Vegas. So it was me and Rat. Hmm. Um, Scabies was supposed to be going to Vegas and playing with uh, 1,000 motels. And um, so we had to put that on hold. Hmm. And then... Then the, you know, what with the COVID and all that shit coming in. So it was kind of like, I just thought I've got to do, I've got to do something just to, you know, get out of this sort of, you know. Decompress. Space like. of just, yeah, it was like being in the studio all the time. 
And, you know, not being with people is like very odd, you know, so I kind of like needed to be with people, but it was kind of like something different. Okay. So it was, you know, they said to me at the end of the ashram, they said, oh, you know, how would you describe your experience here? And I said, well, like being on the road with the band with no sex, no <laughs> drugs, and no rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> so all, all, all the best parts of touring, right? <laughs> yeah. But I said, you know, it was great. It was good fun. You know. <laughs> oh, excellent. I, I, are you cancer free now as well? Yeah, I'm cancer free now. Oh, so. brilliant. Good stuff. Was that recent? Was that in the last year or so? Uh, I had the operation in August last year because, yeah, I mean, basically it was just like I had a cyst on the back of the tongue Mm. and, you know, just said it was just a cyst. And then after a while, um, no, you know, I went in in August for another test and they said, oh, it's cancer. So the guy said to me, oh, you know, you better come in. We've done a test. You better come in. So I came in and he was kind of like, having a panic attack in front of me, you know, it's like sort of... It's not what you <laughs> want. <dog. laughs> and it was sort of, and I said, all right, all right. I know what it is, it's fine. I said, but I've been waiting two years to find out because mm. I've been having all these biopsies. So oh, but I felt sorry for the pool bloke, really. You know, like really sort of quite terrible. And I just said to him, look, it's fine. And I thought, right, okay, at least they know what it is. Yeah. Um, I really didn't know what the scale of the operation was going to be because it was, like, massive, like, real sort of, like, you know, like, major operation for Mm. just a little cyst. You just thought they'd just cut it out. and But, you know, it was a major operation. So, anyway, so I did that. I went in. That was a a new experience. I mean, again, I met a whole load of people in the hospital Mm. ward Mm. who were, like, really interesting and like you know some real funny guys right and i, I couldn't speak because after the operation I, they cut a bit of my tongue out sure so so i couldn't speak i had like two bottles of blood like one in each hand you know sort of a whole like my throat they cut around the whole throat so it was all kind of like stitched up around there yeah and and i was kind of like walking around <laughs> i said oh can you put my leather jacket on please <laughs> and my mr ducktail t-shirt and they said, I just need to feel a bit more normal. <laughs> and so with my arse sticking out of the, uh, you know, the, those things, yeah. the, you know, those things you have to wear back to front. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in the, in the hospital. So I was like, I had that. My arse was sticking out the back, but I had the leather jacket on at least and the, the Mr. Ducktail um, T-shirt. So I kind of like, must have looked like Frankenstein. But it would have made a great album cover. I really fucking missed that opportunity. You never that got anyone to a... take a photo for you. No, my <laughs> God. It was like such a good photo of opportunity. I just thought, you know, looking back at it, it must have been like Frankenstein, sort of, you know, Zorba, Zorba the Greek version of Frankenstein, you know, trying to escape to get some drink downstairs, you know, somewhere. But... <laughs> It's mad, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. It sounds like you've got quite a uh, a positive outlook on life by the sounds of that. Well, there's not much you can do, is there? <laughs> you, you know, or is it just a kind of going bit. with the flow thing, is it? Well, they they, they were a bit worried because when they told me about that I had cancer, they used all these fancy words for it. And I just said, what, you mean cancer? And then... They said, yeah. And I said, okay, fine. So they said, well, we're going to have to 
get you in and do this operation. I said, fine. And they said, uh, and I had a friend with me and, they, and the friend said, oh, you know, they took my friend outside and said, is he okay? Because <laughs> he doesn't seem bothered <laughs> about it. Because <laughs> they asked me how I'm feeling. I said, I feel great. I said, I feel really good. And uh, th- they thought, and I thought I was going to get sectioned then because I thought, I think I'm fucking mad. <laughs> So then I said, well, I'm a little bit worried. I kind of made, had to make up and I thought, right, I have to pretend. And I said, <laughs> you know, like I was a little bit worried, but I wasn't. And it was kind of like, I think it's just, a, you know, I don't actually really worry about dying. I don't worry about what's going to happen in two minutes time or minutes time. So mm. I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good way to be, I guess. Then you're never kind of, you're never going to die of a heart attack by the sounds of it. <laughs> I'm not worried. No. Oh, that's excellent. We've gone really in deep very, very early. This is good. I, I'm enjoying this. But uh, yeah, I suppose the other thing to, to, to add right at this juncture is that uh, I've got to thank our mutual friend, uh, Rhiannon, Rhiannon Iffens, oh, for yeah. setting this up. She's brilliant. Um, she is. Yeah, yeah, I love Rhiannon. So yeah, I met her at the, uh, the last part of last year after, um, okay. after joining Tim V's Sham. And uh, yeah, just got on like a house on fire. So uh, yeah, thank you to her She's for setting this up. Yeah, thank you, thank <laughs> you, Rihanna. How far do you guys go back? Um, I think I met. Uh, I'm trying to think, I have no idea. To go and see, I think um, as far as I can remember, maybe the Wolfman days. Okay, yeah, but maybe before I don't know because. I don't remember much about the adamant days of... I do remember some things, but I'm not sure if I met her during the adamant days because she's probably quite a lot younger than me. So I'm not sure if she was sort of around during that period when I was doing that. She, I have no idea, but I, I do remember from the Wolfman days for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And um, to go back a little bit kind of further, I just well, before we kind of get into the career, because I know that there's a lot to cover and I don't think we're going to be able to cover it all. <laughs> I just wanted to go kind of go back. I feel like we've got to know each other quite well, or at least I've got to know you yeah. and your kind of outlook. But uh, just for just for the listeners, I guess, bearing in mind that you've kind of had a career that spans so many different styles and so many different bands and acts and all that. What was the first song that you remember that made you think, I really want to do that and kind of maybe try and make a living out of playing music? Well, I don't think it was a song so much as uh, it was something like, I remember sort of hearing some, I was at school and um, I remember hearing some music that was being played live and I was sort of drawn to it and it's, you know, sounded like, very much like Hendrix, you know, sort of blues type stuff, glammy. Mm. And I went into the the hall, the music hall, you know, school music hall, and there was this band playing. And there was long hair and sort of like, you know, all these girls, all these girls were around, looked, you know, looked amazing. And I thought, fucking hell, this is good. <laughs> and, you know, I was only like 13 or something. And um, these were the older guys, and they had all these really good-looking girls around. Yeah. And they looked like they were having some fun, you know. And then just remember sort of like the whole sort of image of the curly guitar leaves and the, the smell of the amps, you know, the 
the Fender and Marshall amps and the sort of visual aspect of the, you know, the Gibson, the red, there was a, like a red SG, I think, or something like that. And then the Fender amp with the, you know, the Fender bass. And mm. all right. It's quite intoxicating in a kind of like, you know, with the whole image of the girls. Mm. And then I kind of was watching them for a while and I went outside and then there must have been like, I guess, six formers or, you know, because there was someone with a Jeep. I remember them just getting on in this Jeep afterwards and all, you know, heading off somewhere and looked like they were having fun. I just thought, fuck me, that looks so much better than what I'm doing. <laughs> so so the, the older boys all had the guitars and the girls and that was it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I kind of like in my head, I imagine they were heading off to the beach, you know, for some beers, some mm. good times. And I was like, there's me sort of going through all the teenage troubles and sort of like in my bedroom, sort of listening to T-Rex, Jimi Hendrix, The Faces, um, Pink Floyd, what you know, all, you know, early back then, Sid Barrett stuff, um, a lot of prog, sort of really sort of weird sort of prog rock stuff from, you know, Germans or like, um, I can't remember what they're called, but like acid, a lot of acid sort of that sort of period from Germany. I'm trying to think what they were called now, but I remember actually meeting one of the guys. I can't tell you the story because it's too rude, but uh, <laughs> what happened? Which Anything goes. <laughs> it, well, it was his, I guess they're both dead now, but I don't know, but he, his wife was there and um, we were all kind of like really young and he said, oh, you have to come round to my flat for a jam. So we went round there and his wife was there and um, we were kind of like all playing and, you know, jamming guitars and, you know, we kind of like thought, and she started coming around to us all started playing and we're going like, what the fuck's going on? You know, it's just like, what was this, some sort of orgy? And we're yeah. all kind of, yeah, we're about 13, so we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're all a bit sort of like, oh my God, you know, oh, do you want the special wine from under the bed? Oh my God. But, and so she said, he said, get the special wine from under the bed sort of thing. So there's us sort of going, yeah, boy, it's a special wine. Let's have some of that. But um, I think that was the beginning of the downhill stuff, yeah, from <laughs> my Latin classes into <laughs> debauchery. So, so that was, was that one of the guys you said from one of the German bands that you were listening to invited you back to the flat? Or was yeah, it just... Um, yeah, I think it was like a band called... Um, Oh, fuck me. It will come to me in a minute. I can't try to think what it was called. Um, I guess if we carry on talking, it will come to me. But um, they were kind of like one of those very, I think they were sort of 70s uh, German sort of, you know, mm. prog rock sort of bands. Um, I'm trying communists. to think whether it's like, is it kind of Orange Goblin or something like that? Although they were a bit later, were they? I can't. No, this was, this was, it will come to me in a minute. Uh, but they were, it, it was, you know, interesting period because I was kind of like, you know, just sort of trying to discover what I liked musically. And I liked glam. I knew I liked glam. I, I knew I liked Jimi Hendrix. Um, that's what, and, and getting back to your question, yeah. So mm. the first records, as opposed to sort of visual and sound thing, yeah. uh, was like Hendrix. Right. I can't remember which album it was, but it was around... 
67 or 70, 67 to 70. And there was like um, Hendrix and there was like a lot of ska music then. Yeah. So I was really into ska music and yeah, that I, kind of first wave, kind of Desmond Decker and and all that. Oh, uh, amazing! Yeah, I loved the it. House. Yeah. Oh, because was that when you were? Was it Charing Cross that you were born, or was was this l- later on? Um, well, I was born in Charing Cross Road, um, and then um, I lived actually just you know where Denmark Street is. Mm. So um, we I was brought up just around the corner from Denmark Street. So where Centre Point is now, yeah just right opposite okay so we uh, my dad had a restaurant so we were brought up above that mm. and then later on we lived moved down to Sandringham Flats and um Cat Stevens was my godbrother then well wow. he still is okay <laughs> but uh, but he changed his name didn't he so it was yeah. kind of like odd because I know his dad was really pissed off with him mm. for converting to you know religion to, was he went to muslim to uh, yeah think. islam yeah yeah islam yeah so and i know he was begging him to go back to you know greek orthodox yeah you know, even on his deathbed but um yeah so that was interesting it was an interesting period no this was like what happened so then my parents moved to plymouth they got this place in plymouth mm. um uh, which is like terrible but i was only like five or six at the time so um they sent me to school down in Plymouth so that's why I grew up until I was old enough to leave <laughs> <laughs> and then I left as soon as I I could drive so you know back to London yeah yeah um, yeah straight back to London yeah so I can't kind of let you gloss over the fact that Cat Stevens is your god brother <laughs> like yeah. so were your your family was your friends were they yeah. yeah, so we used to go around there, and um, yeah, it was kind of an odd thing because they they kept on sending me money for years, right? Like until they died, and I was like thinking, oh, I remember sort of playing with Adam Ant and thinking I'm still getting money from them, and they kept on sending me Christmas money, and like you know, I was thinking like this is so odd, but they were so nice, like really nice people. So and, they weren't. Um, they weren't. You weren't related. You, they were just not written. directly. They just yeah. sort of like it's like with the Greeks. They have like you can be like the godparent mm. without being related. So it's mm. like you know, if, say if you're one of your closest friends, you you point him to be the godfather or yeah. the you know whatever. So it was you know quite an interesting sort of thing, and I don't think I've ever met him since he was famous so you know it's been kind of like you know when we were kids he's a fair bit older than you isn't he i'm just looking yeah 48 so 73 years old yeah yeah so he's probably yeah i guess he's 10 about 11 years older yeah so i you know um so i'm 64 now so it's kind of like so he must be so he's what, 71? Yeah, he's uh, 73, apparently, according to Wikipedia, which we know obviously is 100% <laughs> fact. <laughs> I don't know, fuck this. But anyway, but yeah, so, but yeah, the, it's interesting because I was kind of like looking at Greek Orthodox stuff today. I was looking back to, I got very interested in this whole monasteries and Greek thing mm. um, when I, I went to Mount Athos and ended up sort of, 
thinking about becoming a monk at some point. Right. And I went to Mount Athos and, you know, I was looking at all this stuff today. I was thinking like, fucking hell, you know, how can you go from being in a rock and mobile, you know, having sex like all day, drinking and then going to a, a monastery? It's like, you know, I guess, you know, I have no idea. Was the excess driving you towards something more of a quiet life, perhaps? Maybe. I mean, I, I do I do feel that at the end of that period with Adamant, I was sort of like thinking, oh, I've had enough of it. And it was like, mm. looking back on it, it was thinking, like, how could you have had enough of it? But, you know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny like... how your perspective shifts over time, isn't it? <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? It is weird, yeah. It was like sort of, obviously, it was like you couldn't get life to be any better. Because... Mm. Before Adamant, you were playing in like um, blues bands and stuff like that, right? I mean, yeah. what what did you start playing? Did you start playing the piano, the the guitar, or the bass? Where, um, where did you start? So I started off playing. I went to the, uh, you know, when I saw that band playing, I went and I said, "Oh, I want to play music. I want to play music." And they said, "Oh, we've only got you know what we got left, and we only had a flute left." <laughs> So I said, well, I want to play like Jimi Hendrix. I want to play fucking flute. I want to play like, you know. And they said, oh, no, you'll have to play. So I went in and like, there was this guy in there that gave me his flute. So I started playing flute and he couldn't even play flute. He played clarinet or something. So right. the teacher was like going, I said, oh, this is bollocks. So I kind of like stuck with it for a bit. And then I said, no, I want to play guitar. And then he said, oh, I can teach you how to play guitar as well, but he couldn't play guitar. <laughs> so then he, he said, so I got a guitar. He gave me a guitar. It was like, he said, he taught me how to play Edelweiss. Right. And like, you know, just the single notes. And yeah. I said, I want to play fucking Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and so it didn't go anywhere. So that those lessons didn't go anywhere. And I kind of like thought, I've got to get my own band together. And so... You know, it started where everyone else's band starts, I guess, in your mum's kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the garage. But uh, I think we progressed to the garage. <laughs> Chucked out of the kitchen into the garage. Yeah, but we started in the kitchen and um, my mate came up and he had some guitars and there was only like a bass left. So he said, oh, why don't you play the bass? So I got on the bass and we were doing status quo songs and Beatles stuff and yeah it's pre-punk so it was kind of like all that stuff and I was playing till my fingers were bleeding I got so obsessed so that was the beginning really okay and some of your early bands I mean it says on Wikipedia which again I say is the font of all knowledge (laughs) but uh some of your earlier bands kind of went on to kind of support acts like King Crimson is that is that true or is that yeah no we did actually I do remember because um when they used to come down to Plymouth and play, I think um, there were bands like that and Hawkwind that were coming down. And we just used to be able to get in on supporting them. So we just go and support them. Mm. Um, and there was quite a sort of good music scene down there. So um, not a good music scene, but, you know, we could get in and it was so bad <laughs> that they'd, they'd get us on stage. <laughs> There's nowhere else to choose, so we, we'd end up supporting whoever came into town. So, 
But that's a great yeah. opportunity, though, isn't it? Because like <laughs> bands like that, did you kind of get like, um, was it was it kind of inspiring to see acts like that? Oh my god, yeah, yeah, really inspiring. Like, I mean, Hawkins, like with Stacy, Stacy with her tits out and everything. It right, was like yeah. sort of like for us, like little kids. It was like, <laughs> oh my god, look, she's got a tits out. She's shaking around. Oh my, god. and there's a strobe going. It's like you know, you kind of like we were like real. Idiots. It was like thirteen-year-old sort of, you know. Yeah, but to a thirteen-year-old, that's like utter rock and roll excess. All the strobes, lightings going off, topless women everywhere. Yeah, no, it was great. It was, it was <laughs> like really, it was yeah. And then King Crimson. Said my friend's still drumming with them. Oh, really? Well, not still. He wasn't the drummer then, but yeah, you know. yeah. But he's gone on to drum with them. Wow. Yeah, Jeremy Stacy. So yeah, I mean, all that that period was sort of. You know, it wasn't that good, but it was kind of like being a teenager. It was better than wanking off in your bedroom sort of thing. <laughs> you know, it was a bit of a... Well, it's real life experience, isn't it? It's getting out there and yeah. seeing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I not say anymore, but yeah. You can edit all this stuff, can't you? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. I can edit what you want. <laughs> no, I, d- I, I don't mind you using all that. I mean, I haven't said anything yet that's controversial, so... Yeah. No, I love this. This is candid, you know. And then um, you were you, you play in a as a bass player in Diz Watson's blues band, was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the only reason that I say that, I think there's a little bit of circularity recently um, with uh, was it the Mutants or was it um, uh, One Thousand Motels where you eventually kind of came full circle and worked with Diz again? Yeah, we got him got him in on a couple of tracks because that Mutants one. That we did it was supposed to be done in Memphis, but COVID hit in, so we had to do it like all you know via digital. Mm. But we did, um, so I got Dizzen on piano, and um, actually, Diz just sent me a text, he, he'd had another heart attack. Oh, so wow. I think he's had like <laughs> three, he's, he's like, I'm not, I'm not laughing because he's had a heart attack, but it is sort of funny because like we meet up and we go, oh, This may be the last time, Chris, <laughs> and he goes, like, You know. But he's so funny because he's like from Yorkshire, right? And he's from um, Ilkley, right? Yeah. Do you know where that is? So, so he's quite straight talking, straightforward. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got family from up that way, so yeah, I know exactly the kind of people you're talking about. <laughs> but he's kind of like got a sort of because he plays all this sort of New Orleans stuff. Mm. He's got this sort of New Orleans draw, but a northern sort of. <laughs> accent as well but I love I love this so I learned a lot playing with him and um because I started off playing with him after the the sort of prog rock and all that shit with playing in those bands I started playing in with Diz and then then I joined the punk thing never saw him until it all came around recently yeah that's a great bit of circularity i think you know it's yeah. uh, it's interesting how these things happen sometimes in life yeah so when when were you asked to join adam's band anyway like what how did that kind of come about hmm. well i think it was um i think what happened was um i was playing with this band called drill and we were signed to rca records ebony records first which was the adverts were signed to them yeah and um Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> That's weird. The drill 
Fleetwood Mac and, you know, the advert. So, and what, what was interesting was because we played, when I played with the Wolfman at the 100, I'll come back to the question, but when we played at the 100 Club uh, with the Wolfman, mm. Tim, is it from TV Smith and Gay Advert and all the people, like the guy from the publishing company, the record company from The Drill, The Advert Stays, Fleetwood Mac, everyone was in the audience. Tony Visconti, mm. everyone from my whole sort of career. And it was such a weird thing. And I was looking at it going, how is this possible? Like, has God fixed this gig up just as your last gig? And I was thinking, like, you know, is this your last gig? It's like, you know, it was looking into the audience. Almost like it's... seeing your life flash before your yeah, eyes in the audience. It was really, really <laughs> odd. Because the hundred club's not a big place either, is it? You know, so no, and that's and Rhiannon was actually um, was um, selling some merch there mm-hmm. for us. I remember that. So yeah, I'm thinking like yeah. So back to the question, which was well, I can't remember now. Where did, where did uh, we get like how did how how did you end up playing in Adam Adamant's band? Like what was the oh, right. process? Who approached you? And uh, you know, yeah, that that was. So basically what happened was playing that band drill and we'd sort of been through, we'd released a load of stuff, you know, with Chance Chandler, we'd been on supporting Slade and um, I think the guitarist joins Dire Straits. So I thought, oh, fuck it. He's joined, the whole band is sort of falling to bits now. So I thought, well, I better do something. And then I looked in the NME or the Mersey maker and there was an advert bass player wanted must be able to stand and deliver you know <laughs> nudge nudge wink wink yeah so it was pretty obvious you know <laughs> so i called up and you know i felt like it was it, although it was my band i felt like I was cheating on the band sort of mm. thing you know because you know um so i kind of like phoned them up and they said oh we're not seeing any more bass players you know, we've had enough. So they couldn't find anyone. So right. then I got a friend of mine who worked for the original company that we signed to, that the adverts were signed to, who then worked for CBS mm. to get me an audition. So uh, she put in a word for me and I got an audition at Nomis Studios. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I got um, an audition and they said, you know, just turn up. I remember, I think I was married at the time. Yeah, I was married to someone called Julie. Mm-hmm. Hello, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> no, me and Julie are still friends. But, uh, Should we listen? But, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> but anyway, so I think I said to her, oh, yeah, you know, got an audition for this band, you know. I said, right, I'm going to go I'm gonna go for it. So I remember sort of like listening to the whole of Adam and the Ants' back catalogue, which was Dirt Wiz, White Socks, Kings of the Wild Frontier, Prince Charming, and I thought, right, I learned all of that. So I learned it all, all the backing vocals and everything. And I kind of knew it was going to get the job. I was determined to get it. So kind of practiced everything and, you know, went running, just completely clean for two weeks. Mm. Went to the audition at Nomis, you know, Sinclair Road. Walked in, the road equals Stuart, who I got to knew afterwards, you know, sort of said, come in, come in, all right. You know, I sort of had my bass. He just said, no, you don't need that. So he tuned up this bass for me and gave a bass to me. I was like, right. just say, and, just, and there was just like a spotlight there in the studio, and there was a spotlight on me. And right. it was just Adam and Marco were kind of like sitting on this 
sort of stage above me. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, what the fuck is this? And Blimey. I was dressed in a pink suit, floppy hair and the whole, you know, sort of. <laughs> I said, what do you want me to play? And they said, well, I said, I thought I was going to play with you guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And they said, no, you can just play some jazz. Okay, right. Can you play some blues? Can you play some punk? Can you just play some rock? So I kind of thought, well, this is just a joke sort of thing. I was kind of, yeah. you know. And then Marco was just scribbling on a bit of paper. He looked like he was really bored, uh, which he probably was. And I think he was just writing cunt or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then... I could see that Adam was interested. So Adam was just asking me all these questions. And I said, look, you know, okay, fine. Is that it? So he said, yeah. So I sort of said, right, I'm going there. So I left and I was walking out the door. And as I was walking out the door, he was following me, asking me, when can you meet up? When can you blah, 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 blah. He was like, really, I was like, all right, all right, calm down, sort of thing. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like, it was very obvious that he was interested yeah but i didn't know why until later it was obviously wasn't because my bass player don't you but i realized because he liked robert de niro and i think i looked a bit like robert de niro (laughs) then because i had the the shaved hair and it was also you know it's like kind of like well it was i was very thin i remember being very thin he said oh you look like robert de niro you know and sort of and um but anyway so that's how it happened and then i got a phone call and Judy said, oh, Adam's on the phone. I said, I'll tell him to fuck off. And I thought it was my friend, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Adam. Yeah. And so I went on the phone. He said, oh, it's Adam Ant. Do you want to come on the world tour? And I said, mm-hmm. I said, yeah. And he said, um, can you meet me in Tootsie's at Holland Park tomorrow for breakfast? So I said, yeah. So I met him there. I was very nervous. And he was sort of saying, well, okay, um, we're going to give you some money now. So his manager turned up yeah. and they gave me a load of cash. And then they said, what's your bank account details? And we put some money in. And okay. that was it. That wow. was the beginning of it. Yeah. So an advance even before <laughs> setting off. That's not bad. That's trusting. <laughs> yeah. So where, how, how, how long between that initial tryout and then going on tour? Um, not long at all. I looked at my diaries because I'm writing a book. So I was kind of like, I think, you know, within a short period of time, we were still our first gig at the Astoria for fans. And then we did, like, I went to America, played mm-hmm. in America. And, you know, it was like real, like, non-stop gigging and playing and everything. And, yeah, no, it was quick. Mm, mm. And because um, you played on the Strip and Viva La Rock albums, right? I didn't know. I on the Strip album, um, what happened was I was at my mum's for Christmas, and I got a phone call from the manager saying, "Oh, will you go to Sweden and play on this album?" And I said, "Not really." No, I said, "I'm with my mum." I said, "It's Christmas," and 
So they said, uh, they were a bit pissed off, you know. And then I said to Bob, do you want to go? So Bob spoke to the manager and, you know, we both said that, you know, it's a bit short notice. It was kind of like Christmas Eve or something. I can't mm. remember. Mm. But it was like, you know, you're with your family and kind of like, I just didn't want to do it. You settled in, yeah. Well, I, I did want to do it, but then in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't do it because I didn't like that album. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I listened to it, I thought, there must be one one track on there, must like. I, I, I can't remember it that well, but but I do remember live, it was a struggle to play. Right. Yeah, it was like really hard to play that album. It was like... Uh, very sort of depressing to play live that album really okay because yeah. that's the one with that's got puss in boots and strip with the two singles yeah. isn't it and yeah. then uh you've got baby let me scream at you libertine spanish games playboy puss in boots was one of the first top of the pops i did because i think it was a four piece so the first they said to us oh we're doing top of the pops mm. and so we did Puss and Boots. I remember they bought me all these Lewis leathers. So, and I, that's when I shaved my hair. And I did the, you know, I, I started cutting my own hair and it went wrong. So I ended up shaving it all off. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, Oh, we got top of the pops tomorrow. So I said, Oh, fine. So I took my hat off and said, Well, I'm, I'm bald. And it was cut, that was it. So like, I got no hair. Did that go down very well? Because I know Adam used to be at least quite um, thin on quite the top. S- well said <laughs> that, and also no. quite stringent about how people looked and how they dressed. Well, yeah, he liked it because it was kind of like I looked like when in the Deer Hunter, what I think it was, or when Robert De Niro shaved his head. Oh, Taxi Driver, that was it. So yeah. he said, Oh, you like. Janeiro and Taxi Driver, that's cool. So he rechristened you Chris De Niro, didn't he, basically? Yeah. Yeah. So that was it. <laughs> so it was kind of like, and then he put up, you know, he, uh, we went to Lewis Leathers, I had all this stuff, and then he, he wrote on my jacket, Chris De Niro, which Michelle Collins has now. Okay. I've, I've asked her many times for the jacket back, I had no reply. <laughs> and because um, she stayed over at my place one night and nothing happened. We were mates from, we all used to hang out in this pub called Dale Red Lion in Islington, where there was a lot of Kathy Burke and Ray Winston, all before they were famous sort of thing. They were hanging out there and I lived down the road, so we used to go in there and um, she came around one night, so she was a bit cold, so I think she ended up, or maybe she just nicked my jacket, I have no <laughs> idea, but... <laughs> <laughs> and me being such a nice bloke. So have I, I have contacted her recently because we've got some mutual friends yeah. and said I'd like my jacket back. She, but she's probably <laughs> fucking lost it or sold it or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But that Adamant thing, that that um, puss, that first Puss and Boots thing, if you look at it, it's hilarious. It's like so funny, that whole sort of like top of the pops thing. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you're probably, I think you might be the second guest I've had on who's done Top of the Pops. How is that to actually do? Because it, I, I get the impression that it's not quite as glamorous as it seems for those of us watching at home. No, and it's not glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really like, I don't know. It's like, you know, it's just like being in 
like Alan Partridge in the back of the BBC somewhere. And, yeah, the only thing that was funny was they used to be like, because there were a lot of funny artists around then, you know, that Mm -hmm. period when we were doing Total Pops, they'd all be running down the corridors and, you know, like making jokes and like Mm -hmm. there'd be kind of like a bit of an atmosphere because of the bands. But we were in kind of horrible rooms, you know, with a fridge that was warm with, you know, a kind of lager, Heineken lager in and some dried up cheese from two years ago or something. <laughs> it was not glamorous. No, no. And I hear that the um, the production staff were a little bit kind of, they're not the friendliest bunch or they don't, they don't put up with uh, no. a lot of stuff from the, from the acts. No, you couldn't do anything. I remember just like, it was really boring. And one of the best ones we did was when we did Apollo 9. Mm. We'd been in Torquay at a CBS convention the night before. So he sent us a limo and we went down to Torquay. And it was like the whole of, there was Wham and everyone was there. I've got this great photographers all in Torquay. Mm. And they said, oh, you know, you've got to drive back and to top of the pops the next day. So we, we stopped at Hamling's, you know, the toy shop and with yeah. all these toys and he put them in, he painted the bass drum and we put them all in front of the the kit. And I thought that Top of the Pops was fun. It was like kind of creative and otherwise it's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose the other thing as well, you're you're the first person who's done Live Aid as well. Oh, right. Like I've not yeah. talked to anyone who was involved in that day. So like, I mean, how the hell was that? to kind of go on what well, after the Boomtown Rats and before Ultravox on Wembley I Stadium. I have no idea. <laughs> did, did we go on after the Boomtown Rats? I Apparently, can't remember. I've had a look through the kind of lineup and uh, it yeah. was Boomtown Rats, Adamant and then Ultravox was the uh, yeah. was the lineup. But uh I'm trying to think because I remember there was the guy from the jam. Mm. Um their band what were they they were called uh, Style Council. Oh Style Council, yeah, yeah. And um, I think so, yeah. So, well, I got, basically, I just got told that we were doing a charity gig. <laughs> right. That was it. Which I suppose it was, but it was like the charity gig. <laughs> yeah. And being the sort of person I am, which is nothing impresses me that much. Well, it does, but maybe things that shouldn't impress me. But... Uh, I thought a charity gig, okay, fine. And I said, oh, we're getting paid for it. And, you know, they said no. And I thought, okay, fine. So we were, I think we were getting paid on a retainer anyway. So it was kind of like, so charity gig, okay, fine. They said, oh, it's at Wembley. So I said, okay, Wembley, fine. So it turned up at Wembley. It was the stadium. And I didn't even then, I didn't even, I wasn't that impressed then. I was kind of like thinking, okay, at Wembley Stadium. It was the night before because we did the sound check. I think it was status quo. So all the bands that were on first did a sound check. Mm. And then we stood in the hotel because you wouldn't be able to get there in the morning because of the people that were there. So we got there, we did a sound check. Sound check was, you know, it's okay. It was one of those, you know, better than some of the sound checks I've done. <laughs> so I thought, it's all right. And then there was some sort of political stuff going on between Adam and Bob Gerdoff and... 
I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm just the bass player sort of thing. I was thinking, like, <laughs> um, I don't want to know anything about this sort of stuff. And they said, we're going to do four songs. And then it was just one, I think. Oh, no, then two, then one. So what, I said, whatever, one's better than nothing. So we ended up playing Beaver Rock, and it was like sort of, because that was the single at the time, it was highly criticised that we weren't, you know. And I remember sort of saying, thinking, Maybe I didn't say it, but I remember thinking, well, if we've only got one song, we should play our music or Goody Two Shoes or something, you know, like that people know. Rather than the brand new single. Yeah. And it just didn't feel right. And it it didn't, even though, you know, it's a great song, the way it was recorded. Mm. But yeah. Well, that was the thing. I mean, it was recorded by Tony Visconti, wasn't it? And I mm. mean, he's um, he's an absolute legend. So how was it working for him? How was that process? Because um, he's got a very specific style, hasn't he? Yeah, he was very strict back then because I worked with him since. But mm. back then he was like um, into this um, Scientology thing. Okay, right. I didn't realise that. Yeah, he was in that group, Est. I think they were called, mm. and it was like um, very strict. So it was like eleven o'clock to seven o'clock, and then the break from one o'clock till two o'clock. And Adam turned up late on the first day, and you know got bullocked. And <laughs> <laughs> he was sort of. I think he turned up at seven minutes past eleven, and that was late enough. <laughs> he was pulled into a room, and you know we heard all the shouting going on, and you know Tony bollocking him just saying you know this won't do and you know we're trying to run a type ship you know it's kind of like i guess it's trying to set the rules sort of thing and adam came out white-faced and just sort of like you know more white-faced than he was and he was kind of like you know uh, fuck so we, but he was very strict and you know very you know it was very quick the whole process was just like you know we whacked our stuff down mm. But he was very strict, you know, seven, come seven o'clock at night, he was on his BMW, suitcase shut, on his BMW bike, going home. And, you know, we we put everything down really quickly. So, you know, I, I love Tony. I thought he was great. Oh, brilliant. Good. And and you managed to kind of survive at least one slimming down of um, Adamant's <laughs> solo band. I like that. So, I like, like I, I, use the, I use the term politically. <laughs> What do you think that it was that maybe you, what he saw in you that he liked to keep you around? Because he's quite mercenary about the people that he's. That's quite a good question. That's the first time I got asked that question. And strangely enough, it's kind of a really good one, actually, because it's, because I actually, that is exactly what I would call it, is slimming down. And I remember thinking it's coming. I thought, you know, it's like being in a sort of, a mafia gang and you know that some of you are going to get taken out <laughs> and it's kind of like who's going <laughs> and we were all sort of like you know close and everything but I just thought and he pulled me aside one night and I wish he hadn't actually because we were still on tour and you know he said to me look you know I'm going to be slimming things saying maybe he didn't use that word but you know that's what the thing was and he said, you're staying okay. and going to put you on a retainer and it's going to be more like a band and blah, 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 blah. And I felt so bad, you know, because I felt guilty. Like, mm. 
you know, for the rest of the guys. I felt terrible for them and I felt like, you know, it's just a burden to carry. Mm. So was it that, like, uh, do, do you think that he... Did you have a, a better relationship with him than, than than some of the other guys? Did you kind of... Or did you engineer it that way, perhaps? Because you knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think so, because I was so naive, you know, kind of, like, very naive. But I think that he was just thinking he wanted it to be more like a get back to punk days. Like, you know, he was like, he really liked the clash, like sex pistols. And mm. he wanted it to be more like that. So, you know, he wanted to strip it right back. And so that was his thinking, you know, and me and him, obviously we got on very well. It was just me and him hanging out most nights, you know, just, we were both into the same thing. So it was kind of like uh, mainly women, but it was <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and I don't think any of the other, you know, Marco wasn't into women and stuff, mm. you know, uh, not that he's into men, but he wasn't, you know. He wasn't chasing. <laughs> he wasn't like me and Adam. No, we were completely <laughs> like, you know, you know, so it was like sort of most nights it was, you know, just me and him sort of mm. on duty. Um, <laughs> And so Marco was out being arty, or it was arty friends at somewhere, and everyone else was doing other stuff, and we would be out, me and Adam, doing what we did. I mean, it sounds terrible, doesn't it, to say it? I mean, I I, I feel like it's such a fucking wanker saying it, but we were pretty sort of, you know... That's how it was, you know? Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, it's the, it's the 80s, it's the excess era... It's being in a band. It's being in a successful band. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's part and parcel of of why a lot of people have got into rock and roll music for decades and decades, isn't it? You know. Yeah. So it slimmed down to you, Adam, Marco, and Bogdan, wasn't it, on drums? Yeah, Bob. Yeah. And you went on from there, but um, I mean, it didn't last too much further after the kind of Viva La Rock era, did it kind of 1985 into 1986 or was it 87 when it kind I have of... I have no uh... idea, but it was kind of like we did... I know that we were kind of like really doing well in America mm. and we spent all our time in America touring and then over here we, nothing was really happening and I think that what went wrong was the focus was taking out of playing England. yeah. And we just focused on America. So we were playing America for like six months of the year. Mm. And I think that the English sort of scene was neglected for too long. Maybe I have no idea of the financials, but it could have been financial. It could have been because Goody Two Shoes was number one in America. And maybe they just thought we'd milk it. You know, I, 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 don't, I didn't know anything about the business side of what was going on, really. But yeah, I mean... It, you know, you could see it was all coming to an end. Adam was getting into acting. I was kind of like getting a little bit bored with it all. And we were on the last tour of America, and I said to the tour manager, look, I've had enough, you know. So he said, oh, we're going to go to Tokyo in January. And, you know, I just said, I can't do it. I said, you know, my heart's not in it anymore. And I said, I really, Adam is my best friend, and he's given me so many breaks, you know. Um, I can't fake it, mm. you know. So I just said, you know, you're gonna have to find. I'll stay on until you find someone else. Right. And so, 
spending as much time as you did with Adam, I mean, was it clear also that he was maybe falling out of love with music as well and obviously wanting to channel more time into the acting? Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, I just remember feeling like, I, you know, I didn't know much about his depression or mm. much about, I'd never seen you know, that until later on, you know, when it happened full on. So I was helping him out when he had the bipolar sessions. Right. You know, he called me up and I ended up going into the, you know, the places where he was sectioned to help him out. But mm. um, I didn't know that that was a big part of what was going on. But mm. I think that looking back on it now, I think that on that last tour, it was kicking in. Yeah. So I think the depression was had started kicking in and... There was something about it. And I just thought this this is <laughs> you know, this just felt doomed. <laughs> like there's something about it, you know. Mm, just a feeling of like mm, something's up. Yeah, and uh, well, I know it was more than that. I mean, I could see it was there was things happening, and I was kind of like, you know, obviously, you know, you're together, you're a gang, and you're kind of like you're protective to each other. So when things happen, you support each other. Mm. But there was it was slightly more than that. There was some things happening that you couldn't quite put your finger on. And it just didn't feel didn't quite didn't quite feel right, you know. And, yeah. um, and I didn't certainly didn't feel like you know. I felt like you know I kind of lost my passion for doing it. So you know that's why I gracefully you know uh, said. You know, I think it was great. And I said to the tour manager, look, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever until you find another bass player. Mm. I'll help you find another bass player, you know. But mm. then I think Adam just went into acting. So it was kind of like quite a good timing. Yeah. And then when Adam got sectioned, he wanted to get a new band together with me called Uber something or other. Okay. And then it was all got very odd then, but that's a different thing, you know. Are you still in contact with him? No, I'm, I'm seeing, last time I saw him was at, um, in Soho, and he was playing. I was just walking through Soho, and I kind of heard this, someone playing Prince Charming, you know, like, and I thought, fuck me, who's that? And so I walked through, and it was Adam. And he was just in, you know, we used to go to Bar Italia a lot. Yeah. So it was in front of Bar Italia on a little stage with some musicians just playing Prince Charming. Right. And there was a sort of Soho festival. So we ended up going inside Bar Italia, having some drinks, a little party. And then um, his manager came up to me and said, oh, you know, Adam's asked me if you'll play with him again. And I said, yeah, why not? Sort of thing, you know. When we sort of talked about it, I never heard anything more. So it was kind of like, one of those things, you know, I thought, oh, maybe we're going to get back together and we'll play some stuff. I'd love to do it. You know, I'd love to get back and do something. Mm. But, mm. you know, but that didn't happen. So it wasn't like, you know, a big thing. It was just, I thought that would be fun because I'd get on with Adam. Yeah, because I suppose in the meantime, you'd kind of gone off and you did a stint with Annabella Lewin from Bow Wow Wow, didn't you? And uh, you yeah. worked with her on a couple of bits and... Um through that worked with people like Guy Chambers is that right yeah we so basically I got together with Annabella 
me and Bob, who played with Adamant uh, on the drums, we wrote all this stuff, and I think we've got like 100 songs we wrote like with her that haven't wow. been released, but then got an album that's been released with her and some other stuff that she released. I didn't know she released, but I found it on <laughs> Spotify. I went on Spotify. Oh, <laughs> she's released it. Okay, fine. But it was stuff we did in Bob's bedroom. Oh, wow. Okay. Because yeah. I knew that she'd released a few singles, and I think, she, did she release a whole album a few years back or something, wasn't it? Yeah. So, you know, she was um, really interesting. So she was, uh, yeah, we had, we did quite a lot with her. And mm. then um, we worked with Guy Chambers. And it was when Guy was kind of like, I don't know, Guy had just come out of another band. I can't remember what they were called. But um, he was trying to get into production. And then he produced us up. We became friends. And then he said to me he was going to give up music. And I remember being his flat in Highgate. And I said to him, oh, no, 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 no. So we had a bottle of wine and we were just sitting there just sort of drinking this red wine. I said to him, he said, oh, I think I'm going to teach piano. I said, no, 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 no. I said, it's too soon to give up. I said, you've got to keep going. And then he got the fucking cut. He got the Robbie Williams gig. I was so going to say, like, like, imagine him not going on to... <laughs> Like write all those like because those those songs that you wrote with oh Robbie, my God. yeah, you'd give your right arm to write something like that, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, especially stuff Definitely. like Angels. I mean, think how much like how many times that's been played over the years. You know, how many sales? The that's chemistry, gone. yeah, yeah, amazing. Mm. Was it obvious back then to you? Was that why you were kind of talking him out of giving up music? Then you could see, or was it just like no, you too, you you should keep keep on. I think it was just that you should keep on. I don't think it was like there was nothing obvious about that. Mm. Like, you know, it was, it was just like, you know, he was talented, but it wasn't like, oh, I know you're going to be fucking like super. It was just like, yeah, you haven't even fucking tried yet. <laughs> you fucking wimp. <laughs> and look what, look what happened face. after that, right? He went on to, yeah. to rule the world. Yeah, he, he owes me a drink, <laughs> doesn't he? I think he does, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then after that, it seemed to me like you went through a, a little bit of a phase of starting your own bands, like Jackie on Acid, and and then the Wolfmen with Marco again. Yeah, was that kind of more fulfilling for you to kind of do your own thing after so long of being in, say, like Adam's band, and then playing some stuff with Annabella, who maybe would have been more of the focus of those acts, or was it just that you just wanted to do more stuff? Was it as simple as that? I think what happened was that Jackie and Acid period was the monastery periods where I was okay. kind of like a little bit lost and thinking, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And then I thought, I just started writing and ended up sort of doing all this stuff and singing because, you know, it was like I've been singing with Adam for a long time. I thought I knew I had a voice that could cover it, mm. but then trying to find my own voice was something different than finding a voice that you have as a backing vocalist. Yeah. For a band, because what happens, as you probably know, is like if you play with a band, you, you develop the tone of the the singer yeah. that you're doing all the backing vocals for. Yeah, because you're either so, trying to yeah. match or harmonise with someone else, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. So I ended up sort of everyone saying, oh, why have you got that bubble in your voice? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sort of... <laughs> <laughs> that Adam, you know, can you get rid of that? I was thinking, uh, uh, yeah, I'll try, but it was it was quite hard 
So really, the Jacqueline Acid period wasn't through wanting to be a focal point. It was just through necessity. Mm. There was, you know, just a way of expressing stuff. So it's kind of, you know, just writing and expressing the stuff. And to be honest with you, the, I feel more at home being part of a group, not the front man, actually. So I feel more at home being supportive to a front man, actually. So the Wolfman was kind of like an interesting period because it was, but it was a lot of commitment to just be the front man and to play the bass and play all the guitar. Yeah, it's like a lot of stuff. Mm. So yeah, that's, does that answer your question? I'm not yeah, sure yeah, no, does. I think so. It's kind of, it's not necessarily like a, but was it nice to kind of have your own thing, you know, that um, you've come up with yourself rather than kind of joining a, an established act, I suppose? Yeah, I think it was. Like things like with Sinead O'Connor when I did the mm. Jack, Is It My Birthday? That song I knew was a good song, but then when she sang on it, it was like, fuck me, this is great. And then <laughs> Courtney Taylor Taylor from Daddy Woolholz produced it. And it was like, this is like magical. It was just like, that was amazing. So that was good. And so things like that, certain songs, but then when I go through the catalogue now, I think like some of them are rubbish and, you know, some of them are okay. But, you know, it's not kind of like, it doesn't mean I won't do it again. You know, still with 1,000 motels, I do it, you know. But it's just, I don't think I'm a natural front man in the sense that I want to do it. It's not like, it's out of necessity sometimes. You prefer to be a collaborative part of a, you know, a whole. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. I totally understand that. Yeah. Because you also stood it on the, the Slits, Revenge of the Killer Slits EP as well, right? Yeah, that, that was interesting, yeah. I can imagine, yeah. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, Ari was a character. Mm. I've done a documentary on them as well, and I find... Really? I find, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. It's, uh, yeah, I find them like a massively underrated band, really. I I, I, I think they're brilliant. And because uh, on, on that, was it uh, Paul Cook was doing the drums, wasn't he? Yeah, I got roped into it through... Um... I said roped in because they didn't quite tell me what was going on. So I kind of like, because I knew how to work Pro Tools. Right. <laughs> the only one that knew how to work Pro Tools. So it was kind of like, oh, Chris, can you do this? We'll, we'll make you the producer and we'll do this and we'll do that. I thought, okay. And I thought, I was kind of doing a lot of that. So the slips, I kind of didn't, you know, didn't know much about it, but I liked her. Mm. And I liked the, the bass player didn't play the bass at the time because I was going to say because Tessa was kind of in the band but she didn't play on it right is or she no was... I ended up playing because she hadn't practiced for a while yeah and so I said oh don't worry I'll, I'll play it because she didn't feel confident enough mm. so I ended up playing the bass on I can't remember what it was there four songs or on that EP uh, but yeah, um, it would have been about four or five yeah yeah so I ended up playing. I remember sort of producing and mixing them and saying I would get a credit. And then I thought, well, I haven't even got a credit. <laughs> and then let alone getting paid for it. And then I checked with, I think it was Cargo Records. Mm. And they said to me, oh, you know, if you look on the EP, you have got a credit. I said, okay, fine. But, you know, it was kind of like, well, it doesn't matter anything now. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me now. 
but you know it was kind of like the getting back to the experience yeah i love i loved working with her i mean she was amazing and i don't think i'd met her before right is it ari isn't it ari Ari, yeah yeah such a like i remember just running around the studio just going like oh i've got to get my energy out before i sing and she was like so sort of like like a little kid yeah yeah she strikes me as someone who was always full of absolutely exuding energy all the time oh, you know? amazing a brilliant person i loved her yeah so for me and also the bass player tess she was great as well and you know she was i've been in a place where she's in where you're not practicing you know i just said i'll play it and you can take the credit so yeah i have no fucking like i have no issues over what happened on that um i'm just proud to have been part of it really so you know it's cool Mm, I, I think that. as well tessa was asked by polly styrene to oh, right. be on her solo album just before she passed away as well and again really? tessa turned it down because she yeah. was like oh i think she wants someone who's a bit better than i am I, she, she seemed to kind of maybe she had a bit of a like she didn't rate herself you know yeah she was she was really good and you know really good but i know what it's like it's when you're out of practice you sometimes think you know i mean you know what it's like it's, if you're out of practice you don't feel you can do it so yeah. it's like just being honest about it and stuff so mm. um but that's funny you mentioned um polystyrene because back in the drill days mm. we needed a guitarist and we had jack Airport. oh really <laughs> yeah oh wow okay was that after they split up the first time <laughs> yeah now? okay and that's the funny story about this is he lived in Fulham at the time and he had, he's a, have you, did you ever meet him? No, no, I never did. Funny guy. And he was like really sort of, you know, so anyway, so um, we were sort of all rehearsing, you know, like we had, we used to sort of share a bag of chips and right. a bottle of cider after the rehearsal sort of thing. But Jack had a credit card. Because he'd been X-ray specs. Okay. So, right. <laughs> so he'd be walking down the road and go, oh, Jack, can you get your credit card out? He goes, well, I don't know if it will still work because it's <laughs> from the X-ray specs um, credit card. I said, go on, give it a go. So we kind of like in Fulham somewhere and they're like, come on. So he put it in the machine and go, fuck me, it still works. So you get 100 quid out. <laughs> And we'd be off for the night. So, Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Jack Airport. I think he's dead now, but you know, God yeah. bless his soul. You know, Jack was great. And he worked at, you know, he worked in a travel agent. That's why they call him Jack Airport. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! I had no idea about that little. Uh, no, I forgot about it. Yeah, Jack <laughs> and Polly Styrene was because I was friends with Hazel Connor, so they were both out. With the Harry Krishnas. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been there out to that place. Uh, no, I haven't. No, but I know there were a few people. I suppose maybe maybe that kind of fed into your monastery thing as well. <laughs> well, I saw them yesterday. I was inside her yesterday. And I was like, they were all sort of outside playing the drums and singing. I had a good old laugh thinking about it. But um, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, it's funny. I, lo- I loved all that. Polystyrene, I thought, was brilliant. Yeah, 100%, like a total one-off. Warrior of Woolworths and 
do you remember i mean you know amazing stuff yeah they're so great that first album is just incredible like the lyricism the fact that all of the lyrics you can kind of pick them apart and they're still relevant now you know like the plastic society that we live in yeah 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 gender and racial inequality and that kind of thing it's all still so relevant yeah such a loss it's amazing to think what she would have been doing now you know so with uh, what do you do you still are you playing there? Uh yeah, I um I play bass in um Tim V's Sham 69. What so what is Sham 69 now? What what are they playing? It's a it's a difficult situation. I'm going to have to cut all this out. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh I've only been with them about a year. Uh, and obviously we haven't had that many gigs in the last year. Is it still like a lot of skinheads go to it? It's not, not too, as bad as it was. Yeah, yeah. Must be difficult because I know I know talking to Rat Scabies, you know, mm. who I play with. He he says you know they used to get a lot of trouble at their gigs. Yeah, jammed. But you know, I played with a few bands that have had like you know a lot of skinhead followings. Mm. Uh, it's quite difficult to get rid of them, or mm. quite difficult to disassociate in yeah. a kind of friendly way <laughs> yeah i think and that, yeah the thing is you've got to be confrontational haven't you because i know madness had the same thing didn't they where they had to and really uh, what's his of... name buster blood vessel yeah. yeah 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 and and talking about rat scabies as well i mean he was he he was in the mutants as well right later on yeah when you formed that band yeah. and that again that's that's a band what that's been going since about 2000 and 2000 yeah, we saw yeah, Rats. Um, I met Rat in, uh, we're doing the first album with Wilco Johnson. I got in Wilco Johnson, Wayne Kramer. Um, there That's was incredible. <laughs> uh, and those who, um, the reason why Wilco started was because he saw Wayne Kramer playing. So mm. it was just one of those chance things. Yeah. That Wayne Kramer was over and I just sort of said, you know, it's everything just slotted into place. It was, you know, we ended up there and it was just then I said, okay, even though I play the bass, I said, let's get Norman Watroy down. Oh, wow. The okay. track. Yeah, yeah. Because he's my favorite bass player. So he's said, incredible. Right, I, yeah. saw, I saw the Blockheads a couple of times and his his playing is just mad. It's off the scale, isn't it? And yeah. It's just like, so he came down. So the whole thing turns into a party and Wilco, he thought he was going to die of cancer at the time from whatever. So he was kind of like, we were drinking pints of gin and tonic and Wayne is completely clean and it must have been odd for him, but mm. I've got a whole footage of the day. Rat was, and that's where I met Rat. <laughs> and it was like, it was brilliant. The whole thing was like, the album, the first time was really good. And then we got Jake Burns in from Stiff Little Fingers. Yeah, yeah. We did that track, which won this award. And it was like, um, basically, um, Jake wrote it about... Um, Wilco. Okay. And it's called Walking Wounded. Yeah, yeah. But I'm walking tall. I didn't know that was about Wilco. Yeah, it was about Wilco. So he wrote that song. And then there's some great tracks on there with this um, that Neville was done with Tim from TV Smith. Yeah, some great tracks on that at first time. So I met Rat through that. And then we've stayed friends and we've played together ever since, really. And um, I like Rat because he's very straightforward. Well, I suppose he's another one who's kind of been there, done it, got the T-shirt. <laughs> he doesn't take shit. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. 
No. But as well, you, there was an album that you did. I mean, you did Tokyo Nights with a bunch of Japanese musicians and vocalists. Yeah. But there was also the other album with the Palm Desert guys, like Dave Catcher. Oh, Joshua Tree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a total fan of that section of music. Desert like scene. The desert, yeah. the Palm Desert scene, like Queens of the Stone Age and yeah. uh, Screaming Trees and yeah. Caius and all that. So, like, yeah. how were those guys to work with? Um, well, I'm not, I wasn't a fan. I'd never no. even heard of them. So I mean, for me, it was kind of like, I was kind of like just thinking, oh, we're going to make an album in Joshua Tree. And I contacted Dave Catching. And um, no, what happened was I was talking to Rat and I said to Rat, what should we do next? He said, why don't we show those Americans how to make real psychedelic <laughs> music? Yeah, yeah. He goes, you know, let's show them how it's done. He said, they think they're really good at this, but I think we can be better. So anyway, so we booked the studio in Wandsworth for three days. And I said, okay, let's not write anything. Let's go in and write 12 songs in three days. All right. So we turned up. It was just me, Rat, and this guy called Paul. And we turned up and it was just kind of like, we set up, started playing, sounded shit, nothing. So came to about two o'clock. Go to the pub. So I went to the pub. I said, fuck <laughs> me. This was a bad idea, wasn't it? <laughs> no songs. Put the studio for three days. And then this massive, great big black rat ran under the table. And rat said, it's a sign. We have to go back and play now. <laughs> so we went back and then the first song went down, which is the one with Chris Goss. But mm. Chris Goss ended up singing on it, but it's like 15 minutes long. Yeah. 15 minutes. So we recorded it in one jam, the first one. And it went out without his vocals. It just went out as we recorded it on BBC. Bobby Friction played it on Six Music, I think. Right. Um, in its entirety, you know, the whole thing. And then... We went out to the desert. We got everyone involved. People were just turning up, you know, on the day. And I said, like, you know, I, I like you, 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 you're into the scene. For me, mm -hmm. I turned up there, and I thought, like, this is supposed to be the desert. This is like some fucking like someone's house in the in the middle of a council block, you know, right, flat yeah, or somewhere. Yeah, it's not quite as romantic as it sounds. And then they were all like, everyone like rat, and everyone was kind of like. Don't be like that, Chris. Don't be like that. But I was <laughs> kind of winding them up. Said, oh, this is fucking bullshit. I said, let's go back. And then he said, no, 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 we got to go. So he went there. And said, they were telling me all the stories about, you know, but I loved it, you know, secretly I loved it. I was just being a grumpy cunt. <laughs> so it wasn't quite the experience that you thought it was going to be over at Rancho de la Luna. Well, it was. It was. It was really good. But it was just that when I got there, it was just, I could see everyone was really excited. And I was just being this grumpy, as I said, bastard. <laughs> he just wanted to be like, nah, this is fucking bollocks. And so we got there and I was going like, this is bullshit. So we went in and it was like Dave Catching's house. And you know, like, they were really excited because they were like you into the history of these bands yeah, and yeah. everything. And it wasn't my thing. Hmm. Not that I didn't like it. I'd never sort of really listened to it. So yeah. I was kind of like, ignorant to it so kind of like um just being provocative you know just mm. being playful and just saying oh it's rubbish and it's like, you might as well go back now sort of thing <laughs> and they're going chris no chris no this is like and so anyway so 
I kind of just messing around and we ended up going to the local pub up the road and then everything just clicked into place. So it was like people started turning up and all these people and like Rat said, you know, and then um, the Daddy Warhols had a day off and I said, why don't you come down and play and jam on stuff with us? And they came down and we were like, <laughs> it's like sort of like turned into a massive great party with like drugs coming in off drones and <laughs> everything and like you know amazing and the album turned out great mm. and then we gigged it you know we gigged it around a bit so fantastic yeah i loved it in the end but as i said i was only messing around you know it was like you know be the contrarian good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know oh, this is bollocks you know <laughs> Oh, fair play. And you, you've you've worked with, like you say, Courtney Taylor Taylor from the Dandy Warhols a fair amount of yeah. times as well. So Yeah, he's great. Yeah. How did you kind of get to know him? Well, I got I, I knew him through we did the um Wolfman album. Mm. I think it was through that. I think that we got to know him. So it was like uh we were doing the Wolfman album and um yeah, you know, I can't remember. Mm. And so I think I might have contacted Courtney and then he said, okay, he wanted to be involved. Um, so he, him and someone else produced a mixy album. And then they came over to London and um, Marco was like, we went into the studio and we had two mixes. Of the album. One was our mix and one was uh, Steve Buster's mix and one was Courtney's mix and Courtney taking all of Marco's guitars out. <laughs> so that Marco went down was sitting well. There. <laughs> well, Marco was like, honestly, he literally sat in the, you know, there was a little sofa there and he looked, he looked shocked. Mm. He said, Are you taking the piss? <laughs> I said, No, these are the mixes. They're alternative mixes done by Courtney. Mm. So he said, Well, I thought he'd like my guitar playing. I said it does, but you know, apparently guitar's not cool anymore. So you're not on the albums. <laughs> and then we met up with Courtney in London and we were in Summer House and we were sitting there. It was like a civil conversation. We were going to go and see the Courtney, uh, Courtney play with Sandy Warhols. And Marco said to Courtney, oh, he said, Can I ask you a question, Courtney? He said, You like my guitar playing, don't you? Go, yes, I love it. Fantastic. And he goes, why did you take all my guitars off the yeah. He said, well, because this was another approach. And it was like, he didn't take his guitars off. It kind of, I don't know if you heard it, it was like an alternative version. Mm, like a remix it. almost. Yeah, like a remix. But I mean, you know, it's good. It's great what he did. It was really good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, Courtney's great. Uh, and then, like, I think, you uh, again, like I say, there's so much to kind of cover. Um, we but... could do a part two, don't worry, if you want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Uh, so I'm just thinking there's the whole, there's the Paul Fraser thing. I'm just looking through the the, the amount of acts. But obviously you went on to do because of the psychedelic thing. I mean, when I was listening to 1000 Motels earlier on while I was doing some work. And um, that's got some real kind of psychedelia on there. Um, kind of yeah. psychedelic bluesy rock rock and roll stuff. It's a real mishmash of stuff. Not quite what I expected from Rat Scabies, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's an interesting set of sounds on that 1000 Motels album or the two that you've got. Yeah. 
And then obviously the biggest musical jump would be the more recent project that you've got with uh, it's Rude Girl and CC, isn't it? Oh my God, yeah. With uh, Jenna Dickens. Yeah. How the hell did that come about? <laughs> uh, well, Jenna was, um, I met Jenna through, her, that's her real name, Jenna Rude Girl. She was signed to Sony at the same time I was with Marco. I think she was about 13 or 14 and she was like a child star. Hmm. And she went into rehab when she was about 15. Oh, right. Oh, wow. She was a real kind of child. Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't realise that yeah. she was okay. Right. And then I, I didn't hear from her for ages. And then like when she came out of rehab, we got back together and we just got together and we did all this stuff, which, you know, is coming out. We've got a new thing coming out in May and Iggy Pop is going to be playing it all throughout May. So we got like, yeah, he played us the last time around, but he's become a bit of a fan. So mm. he's going to be playing us again, the new tracks. I'll send you the tracks, by the way. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, you can't get a you can't get a more cool fan than Iggy Pop, right? I mean, that's so <laughs> that blew my mind. And mine. Yeah. I was kind of like, you know, that is, I guess, no, it is pretty cool, isn't it? Mm. And so, what attracted you to doing the more R and B and hip hop project? I didn't really want to do that. It was kind of like just sort of, we just got together and just, you know, it's what happened. I didn't mm. really want to do it at all. You know, it was just sort of, and, you know, in my eyes, I just play sort of what I normally play and mm. she does what she plays and it works. So it's no sort of like, um, math, you know, it's not like a formula. It's mm. just, just works. So I get on with her and it's quick. I get bored very quickly with writing. Right. And recording so it's like you know so we just said look let's spend 30 minutes on each song okay so we'll write the song in 30 minutes and record it in 30 minutes mm. so it was kind of like an hour for each song i think oh wow so um yeah just like really quick and um you know i get very bored in the studio sort of like i don't know about you but you know yeah it's a lot more sitting around than it is actually <laughs> kind of doing the playing, isn't it? The playing is like 10% and the rest of it is sitting around or playing with computers. And I'm Eating not really, a, I'm not really, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm not really a playing with computers kind of guy, if I'm honest with you. Same with so, your bass player. So it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do play with computers, but mm. it's boring. Mm. And so I'd rather be just playing and let someone else who's good at it do it you know mm. so do you kind of share production on that or does she do the majority of that i kind of do the majority of the production okay and she does she just comes down and sings and but now we've changed it around because she's she actually is really good at production but she never did it before so i said to her why don't you use what you could at so and she's not not ego driven so she said, okay, so she's just sort of starting to do... We're becoming more self-contained in the sense that she can do everything that we would have someone else do, and I can do everything else, so we just do it between the two of us. And again, I suppose because there's only the two of you, it's a lot easier to kind of sort out diaries and uh, get in the same room at the same time, and you can be more direct with the songwriting. Yeah, and her girlfriend is, is part... You know, she's a visual... Her wife... Uh, is a visual part of 
the band and I said to her, you're like Stacey, you're like from Hawkwind, you turn up and you dance. <laughs> and I didn't say the rest, but I said, you get up and dance. And I said, oh, you remind me of Stacey and it could be like that. And I imagine all the strobes and, and she said, oh yeah. And I was, it was so weird and, you know, how things go back to the beginning, hmm. you know. So, you know, and even what you were saying about prog rock, not prog rock, but psychedelia mm. and blues on that album, that's kind of what I started doing and it's kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah, so. yeah. there's a real circularity to a lot of the stuff that you're up to, actually. It's interesting to look back, isn't it, and see all the kind of connections and stuff. I mean, like, because both 1000 Motels and the Rugo and CC projects are kind of, they they started in the late, 2019 early 2020 so they've kind of been covid project as well yeah. so like yeah, fucking lime, isn't it? yeah how how has that been has that made things easier or more difficult or uh I, to be honest we've just been getting on with it it's just sort of like each day as it comes really so you know covid was what it is you know just sort of dealing with it and then you know, cancer came along so yeah. that was a little bit of a another thing so it was covid cancer then beat that cancer gone. So that's gone. COVID gone. So it's just getting back back to playing live. So I'll be playing live with the dandies in June. Okay. And then we've got the new stuff coming out of Rugo and CC uh, in May. And then we've got me and Rat have got a new album coming out, 1000 Motels album. So it's just sort of, you know, back to normal, really. I mean, I can't wait to get playing live again because. Yeah. You know, it's what I love doing. I don't mm. know about you, but do you know uh, Yeah, look, I played a gig in March of 2020, just before yeah. the lockdown. We were supposed to play another gig in Camden the next week, but it was kind of arming and ahhing as to whether we would do it because it was really starting to become like everyday news, COVID, back in the kind of beginning of March. And then... Boris took it off our hands no. by shutting down the whole industry. Um, yeah. Uh, which, you know, was good and bad in a way because I, I love playing, but we were really in a bit of a quandary about, well, if we go ahead, are we putting loads of people at risk coming out to watch it and, and all that stuff? Yeah. And then, yeah, it was well over a year then before I played anything. And that was with, you know, the kind of local bands that I play in. Oh, brilliant. The first Sham gig was, uh, well, the, the very first gig that I played with Sham was this massive modern punk and ska revival thing up in Great Yarmouth in October of last right. year. Um, and it was like the biggest stage I've played on in front of the biggest crowd I've ever played to. So that was a real kind of baptism of fire. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But yeah, since then, it's kind of, it's all been picking up again. Oh, brilliant. And, uh, you know, there's been a few things having to be rescheduled, but not very many. And it seems to be, fingers crossed, that everything's starting to pick up again, pick up and get back to normal again, which um, I'm really, really looking forward to. But I tell you what you will probably notice, because have you played any gigs at all since? No. The crowds are a lot more, there's a lot more kind of give and take, like, they're so much more energized i see i, really? I think yeah yeah because oh, i think right. people have been starved of being able to go and see live music as well interesting so like it's interesting because you've got like the bands who haven't been able to play for a year and a half or two years 
and then people who haven't been able to go out to big shows for a couple of years. And there's this kind of real, yeah, there's this real frisson now. Like there's that, that it's, it's need and want from both sides and it really causes right. a real energy in the room. Oh, I so, can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I, I hope that it's still like that once you get back to it and I'm sure it oh, will be. Well, that's fantastic. I hope so. so. Are you, what bass do you play? I've got a couple. Um, I tend to, with the punkier stuff, play a, uh, a classic P bass Fender. Okay. But I've got a Dan Electro uh, DC69 as well, uh, which okay. I quite like because it's really light. <laughs> okay. And it's got yeah. an amazing tone, like the little lipstick um, yeah, pickups. Yeah. They're amazing. And I also play an Epiphone EB3. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'd love one of those. What, what about you? What's your axe of choice? I've just got an old Fender Precision, you know, mm. just like an Ampeg SDT classic nice. rig. So I've got nothing, nothing sort of apart from that, really. So mm. I started off with, I had a Gibson, I think it was like called a Gibson Triumph. Or it was okay. like... A weird bass. It had so many pickups and so many fucking knobs on it. It was, <laughs> but it was short scale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've thought, I don't so, think I've ever played anything short scale. Oh my god, it was so easy to play. Mm. So it was like you know, like got that top G. So everything's like an octave above, so it yeah. doesn't cut short. So you got all those octaves above, but it was kind. I don't know. It was just a lot easier to play, but the I didn't like all the knobs and mm. the I don't like things with lots of knobs on switches. So you know, <laughs> this is what like... what's brilliant about P bass is it's like <laughs> volume and tone, and that's all I need. <laughs> well, kind of like what I like about life is things a bit simpler. You know, sort yeah. of bass and treble, yeah, volume knob, and um, you know, four strings, yeah. <laughs> That's all you need, man. It's all you need. I've also got a full-size stand-up bass as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Which wow. I don't play anywhere near as much as I should, and it's more of an ornament. And my, uh, my other I half, want one. My I other half one. hates it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? Because it's just sat there. It never does anything. <laughs> yeah. It looks great. But doesn't it sound great? Oh, it sounds amazing. And it's got two kind of active pickups on the bridge, on the neck, sorry. And yeah. uh, and another pickup on the bridge, so I could technically double amp it if I wanted to, but I have no idea where I'd ever need to do that. <laughs> yeah, but you have the option, so it's good. So, exactly. Well, I want, I want, I really want to get a double bass. I really want to get one. I mean, because... the only reason I've got it, I used to work in a pub, and um, yeah. a bloke came in. He used to do roadieing for Motorhead. Okay. And um, okay. him and his brother were in this band, and it was more of a kind of uh, rockabilly-ish band. His brother played stand-up bass, and he was yeah. like, "Look, my brother is—we're sponsored, and we get these things. Like, my brother doesn't play this thing, and he's left it in my basement." Yeah. And uh, he was like, "Do do you want it?" And I was like, "Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I think it cost me a hundred and fifty quid." Oh my god. It just so about it cheap. Fit, yeah yeah oh yeah and it was covered in um like an oil paint uh, mural <laughs> all over all over the body so I took nitromores to it and filed it back down and it's got loads of chips and dents where little bits of paint has kind oh, of oh I love it like it's kind I of love it. embedded itself and it it, yeah. looks, it looks brilliant I just need to find myself a rockabilly band to play in that's all I need. <laughs> 
<laughs> just a rook of it. I've got the bass. Yeah, I just need a band. No, that's cool. <laughs> but you know, you're you're actually quite an interesting character, aren't you? I should be interviewing you, really. <laughs> I've become much more interesting in the past year or two <laughs> since yeah. COVID. It's allowed me to do all sorts of things. Do you like interviewing? I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm a by trade. I'm a journalist. Okay. But I write for design and engineering magazines. Okay. So I've been doing this for like five or six years, but I obviously I always wanted to get into kind of music and film journalism more than anything okay. else. But it's such a competitive area to get into and I don't know anyone. So uh, okay. it was, uh, yeah, kind of necessity over want really. But okay. Since COVID, I was laid off at the end of 2020. Yeah. Um, and I was able to go freelance and um, since then, I've kind of picked and choose what I'm doing. And it's allowed me to do the Sham 69 thing because obviously there's there's tours and stuff coming yeah. up. Like we're going to do Europe and we're going to do America at the end of this year. Wow. Supposed to be last year. That was the reason that I joined was to do uh, Europe in December. But it all got cancelled last minute. Yeah, same as everyone's. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, no desk job would ever allow me to do that. So it's all come around at the right time, you know. I think there's yeah. a lot of, like you say, there's a lot of circularity with your story. And, and Jules. Where I'm at at the moment, there's a lot of weird circumstances have all come together to enable me to do this kind of thing. And then meeting Rhiannon, who knows you and a load of other people. And it's just, yeah, you know, it, I like that about life, you know. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got a very good vibe about you and sort of very good, You've got a sort of presence, which to me is also says to me that you should be doing it visually as well. So like, um, I mean, we're doing it on audio now, but, you know, like more like, a, you know, like interviewing visually as well, because you have that presence to do that. So well, I'm kind of hoping as things progress that maybe once the world opens up a little bit more and obviously when I'm, on tour with Sham 69, hopefully I'll be crossing paths with people in real life. Oh, I can kind of take a camera around with me and do a bit of yeah. this while yeah. I'm doing that as well. That would be awesome. Yeah. So yeah. there are there are plans. That's a it's all good idea. Whirring away, you know. That's uh, good. But what about you? What what's what's next for you? Obviously the new um the new is it a new single or a new album with um uh, we've, we've done a mini album and mini album that's coming out on universal music king kong is the single from that mm -hmm. which is going to be playing in may and we've done <laughs> we've done a single on cleopatra records which is the cover of goody two shoes oh really with rude girl and cc <laughs> and uh he's going to be playing that brilliant so it's an odd version so, yeah, they're the two sort of singles. And then I've got the 1000 Motels album. I've got the Dandy Warhols gigs. So are you playing bass as a touring member of Dandy Warhols? Or is no, it... I'm going to play flute with them. I'm going to oh, go right. on and be psychedelic flute. So <laughs> Again, it all I... comes back to that first instrument yeah. that you were given back yeah, in that, school. Isn't that odd? How and I just pick it. I pick it up and I just play it. And it's like this magical sort of... <laughs> weird stuff and I play it on pretty much everything on every album it's on it's in this but it's like really psychedelic okay. yeah so I pick it up and it's just like oh for fuck's sake the flute again all right I'll pick it up 
and that, yeah, I play with Dandy so much now. I kind of like put it in my coat pocket when I turn up and play with them. I stand in the audience and they call me up and I just walk up, just pull it out of my coat. And it's like, oh, it's that cunt, Chris Constantino. Oh, look, yeah, he's coming up to play flute, you know. Or it's Chris Constantino coming up to play flute. I don't know if you can use cunt in your... In oh, your, yeah, um... yeah. I can say whatever I want. It's, it's the, okay, it's the internet. Good. It's the Wild West. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So... You know, it's it's going to be good. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the whole new future and, you know, playing to an audience that is COVID. You know, like you said, that it's where that en- hopefully that energy is going to be there, what you're talking about. I'd love to experience it. Mm. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure you will, man. Well, I hope so. Thank you so much for talking to me, Chris. It's been such a brilliant conversation. I've got a lot of editing to do, I think. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm happy to do more. Uh, <laughs> like, if you want to do a part two, I'm happy to do it because I know there's so much to cover. Yeah. And if you need to edit it down and sort of, um, you know, if you feel you haven't covered anything, you don't want to drag stuff out too much, mm. then I'm happy to do another session at any point. Man, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, like I say, I'm going to go away. I'm going to do the do the edit on it. Sure. All the rest of it. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to do the fake goodbye and we'll have a little bit more of a chat now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Chris Constantino, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for giving me a couple of hours of your evening. And um, thank you for telling me so many amazing stories and uh, and just being a, a totally inspiring person. I'm so glad as well, obviously, that um, you'll be getting back to live music after COVID and obviously the cancer thankfully yeah. cancer free as well that's such a great no, it's all cancer free yeah it's all good so thank you so much for you know it was a good chat so yeah all good and uh, good hearing your stories on the bass i want your double bass <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you i'll give you a hundred for it i'll tell you what we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll chat off air about it and uh and we'll make a deal <laughs> all right thank you so all much right then, man thanks very much Cheers. talk to you soon all right thank you See? What did I tell you? What a great guy Chris is. Even after two hours of talking, I feel like I only just scratched the surface, so perhaps there'll be a follow-up at some point down the road. He actually offered to do it, so I'd be a fool to pass him up on it, right? He also wanted to buy my double bass. (laughs) Uh, Perhaps that'll happen too, it'd make my girlfriend very happy. I really do think you should check out 1000 Motels and Rude Girl and CC. They're poles apart musically, but are both really great in their own ways. And if you're at a Dandy Warhols gig in the future, look out for the flute player. If you enjoyed listening to that conversation a tenth as much as I did having it, I'd imagine you're pretty satisfied. Let me know what you thought of it on the social media posts, and be sure to share it in the podcast with your friends. Until next time, take care of yourselves. for listening to this episode of band biographies if you enjoyed it please don't forget to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts please do reach out on twitter at band biogs instagram at band biographies search on facebook for band biographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com see you next time
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.